0: In the sermon, in his sermon on the mount, Jesus leaves no stone unturned as he teaches his disciples what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Every thought, every action, every trial, every area where we're tempted to sin is addressed in this sermon because he wants his disciples to understand what life is like in the kingdom of God and the demands that God makes upon us for those who profess to follow him. And so he goes through all of these wonderful teachings on our behalf. In 1968, and if you're old enough to, to hang with me, the Olympic Games took place that summer in Mexico City. One Olympian in particular, I was 13 years old at the time, intrigued me. His name was Dick Fosbury, who was a high jumper. And in previous Olympics, previous track meets, when a high jumper would jump, there was sawdust in the pit where they would land, so they would attempt to always land on their feet. But in 1968, they came in with a a landing pad, as you see today, and so Dick Fosbury came up with a unique way of high jumping, and he would do it backwards. So he would run, and then he'd turn backwards, and it was known as the, the Fosbury Flop. What was amazing to me was that each time he attempted a jump, he kept raising the bar higher until finally at seven feet, four and one half inches, he won the gold medal, jumping backwards. That that bar just kept getting higher. Well, Jesus's sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount in particular, raises the bar for us much higher than the scribes and the Pharisees. For his disciples, he raises the bar, beginning with the Beatitudes, and then he wa- works into their their private thoughts, their private lives, and then their public life how they how they pray, how they fast, and then their and then their their daily life. And that is what we're looking at today in this passage. Passage In Matthew 6, 25-34, Jesus addresses one of the most significant problems that every Christian and non-Christian alike faces each day, and that is anxiety, the temptation to worry. Read with me, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, looking back to what Devin so effectively preached last week, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What will you put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Oh, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet... Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. own trouble. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the life-giving word of God. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who will give life to these words today. And Lord, we ask, we ask that you would meet each one of us individually and you would meet us corporately, that we might be transformed into the image of your son for your glory as we sit under the authority of your word. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So Jesus begins by looking back to what Devin did preach last week. He says, therefore, therefore, in light of not having a treasure on earth, but having a treasure in heaven, not looking to worldly possessions as a way to to make your life better. He says, therefore, I tell you. I tell you, do not be anxious. Just as earthly possessions can become an idol, so also earthly needs can become a source of anxiety that, that questions God's care for us and challenges his sovereignty over our lives. The basic needs of our lives are certainly important. And Jesus is not denying that food and drink and clothing are necessary. If you remember his temptation in the desert, he was in need of food and he was in need of drink. He even taught us to pray, give us this day our our daily bread. So so what is he saying here when he says, do not be anxious about your life, about what you'll eat or, or what you will wear, or what you will drink? Well, he's... Really simply saying, do not let anxiety rule your life. Do not let the needs of your life become a source of idolatry where you are so anxious that all you see and all you are concerned about is what you want or need. Anxiety is a problem that plagues our society including God's children including us it is a it is a problem that Jesus is well aware of and it's why he's preaching to his disciples in particular even as Christians his disciples are are tempted to not trust their heavenly father to care for them and in this agrarian society where these disciples lived where where there was much in the way it was an arid climate, so there was much drought, so not having something to drink. And, and it wasn't like everybody had a clothing closet where they had l- racks of clothes where they could go and dress, and, and food at times could be scarce. And so Jesus is speaking to the reality of their situation, the reality of their day. And yet he is telling them do not be anxious. And although the context of this passage does speak to the basic necessities of life, it would be rare that these would be basic needs for us, that they would trouble us. These needs of food and clothing and drink rarely trouble you and I in this culture that we live in. We do have food, and we have, we have plenty to drink, and we, have, we do have closets filled with clothes. But if we expand Jesus' concern, we need to consider what tempts us in our world to be anxious. It might be our children's safety. It might be our children's future. It might be our health. It might be the things that cause suffering. It might be aging. It might be the pressures of the culture. What clothes I do wear or what car I do drive or what size house I live in or what restaurants I eat at. These, these things create an anxiety in us in our world, and we are not exempt from that. We are not immune to that. But as a caring shepherd, Jesus wisely reserves this section in his sermon to address our temptation to be anxious. Because like the previous passage, our anxiety reveals who or what we really treasure. And it reveals what is most important to us. And right now, just think, what, what are you most anxious about? What do you think of when you go to sleep at night? What, do you, what are you aware of immediately when you wake up in the morning? What wakes you up in the middle of the night? What captures your thoughts when you're sitting at your desk or sitting at the kitchen table and you, you just kind of drift off into thought? What, what captures your thought? What anxieties draw you in? And Jesus is saying, do not be anxious about your life, and so now we have here this is, this is not what this is not what Jesus intends for his followers for them to be anxious, but he does tell us what he demands of his followers, not to be anxious, and three times in this passage in this section of scripture, three times he tells us he commands us. Do not be anxious. And the first one is, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. Therefore, I tell you, verse 25, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Is not life more than food? We, we do need food, and we do need water, and we do need clothes, but Jesus defines life as much more than these basic needs. Our, our lives have much greater meaning than this. And in verse 26, he goes on to explain with an illustration that surrounds him. The birds of the air the flowers of the field, the grass that you're sitting on. He uses this illustration as he's sitting on a mountainside and he's telling his disciples, look, look around you, see the birds of the air. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. He, he explains, look, they're not sowing or reaping. They don't worry because God, God provides food for them, and they don't know that God provides food for them. They just know food is there for them. That worm in the ground is there by God's divine providence. Your heavenly Father feeds them. They simply need to swoop down and eat that worm. Now, imagine two birds sitting on a tree branch. One bird asks the other bird, so so what are you doing? Oh, just waiting for God to tell that worm to crawl up into the tree so I can eat it. No, that bird has to gather. That bird has to to swoop down. But God provides what he needs. And like the birds, we have a responsibility to work and to earn. But far more important to our life than food and clothing. Our life is about knowing Christ. Our life is about drawing near. Our life is what, is what Jesus speaks of in verse 33, which we'll get to in a few minutes. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Our, our lives as Christians, brothers and sisters, it has meaning that is so much greater than waking up, getting dressed, eating, working, going back to sleep, and doing it all over again. It consists of so much more than food and clothing. We are the crown of God's creation. We are created in his image for his purpose. And our lives have so much more meaning than a bird sitting in a tree. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Yes, it is. Take take this life of yours, Jesus says, about which you can be so anxious. How did you get this life? How do you get this life? He asked, where did it come from? It came from God as a gift. We did not create ourselves. We did not breathe life into ourselves. The very fact that you are alive is entirely because God willed it. If God has given us this life, do you think he's going to deny us what we need to live? Do You think he is not going to care for us? Oh no. Are you not of more value than the birds of the air? Oh, yes, you are. Do we, do we need to be anxious about what is happening? Or oftentimes we're anxious mostly about what might happen. So to ensure his disciples understand, Jesus uses repetition to, to make his point. Who is God and and who is not? And he's telling his, his readers, he's telling his listeners, he's telling us, listen, you are not God. You do not control your life. And when you do try to control your life, that's when you become anxious because you really don't have control of your life. He goes on in verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Here is the foolishness of anxiety on display. So I'm not, I'm not opposed to vitamins. My wife takes them all the time. But everybody standing in a vitamin store is dying. <laughs> That's the end result. You cannot add one hour, one minute, one second to your life. You think you can control your life, but you can't. Yes, you make decisions and you do things, but overall, your days are numbered by God. Your times are in his hands. Your your life is under his kind and gracious and sometimes dark providence. And yet, are you not of more value than these birds? So do not, therefore, the first command, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. Where does anxiety come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from our attempts to be like God, which was where it all began in the garden with Adam and Eve, where they were were deceived, they were tempted. You can be like God. You can control your life. And we must humbly acknowledge that we don't control our lives. And every attempt we make to control our lives creates, it's, creates anxiety in our hearts. It generates great fear because we eventually come to the realization that we're not in control. If you are anxious, if you're anxious today, I contend, I can confidently say, you are contending with God as who is going to be sovereign in your life. You, you can't capture every moment and protect your life. You can't capture every moment and determine this is the outcome of every moment. And this was a challenge Marilyn and I had. My kids wanted to go rock climbing in this indoor rock climbing place. My son was 19, Jenny was 16, Carrie was 13 at the time. And, and he was going to drive them to the rock climbing place with a bunch of kids in the church on a Sunday after church. And so they came to me and I said, sure. And then about 15 minutes later, they came to me and said, Mom said, we can't go. And, I, I said, w-, and so I, I talked to Marilyn. She said, because th- they can fall. And I, I told the kids, no problem, go ahead. And I just told Merrill, I said, honey, if they fall and if they break their arm, we'll take them to the doctor. And they'll be better. It will be fine. It was, it was a desire to try and control. They're, they're not going to get hurt. They, today they call them helicopter parents. I mean, we can't be like that. We, we do not control. And then he goes on in in 28 and and he repeats himself and why are you anxious about clothing Now consider now that word consider is much more it's much stronger than the word look it's consider is to meditate it's to is to really consider the lilies of the field How often have you sat and considered the lilies of the field I know Paul and Lauren have no lilies, they have clovers. Consider the clovers of the field. Consider consider what you see in the garden. Consider but they but Jesus wants them to look around and see. He wants them to open their eyes and he says, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. How do they grow? Do they cause themselves to grow? No, God causes the rain to come on them. God causes the sun to warm them. God causes them to grow. They neither toil nor spin. They don't work. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon, Solomon, the wealthiest king who was arrayed in the most royal clothes in history, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed, was clothed like a flower. What an incredible comparison that God tells us. Don't be anxious about what you will be clothed with. Don't be anxious how you'll be cared for. Because if I, if I can clothe the lilies of the field like this, will I not care for you? Will I not clothe you? And then he, he goes on to say, Oh, you of little faith. I think the point he 's making here is our our faith in god 's sustaining grace, our faith in god 's kind care. Our faith has to go beyond just simply uh, saving faith god 's care is not is not practical it 's theological. He knows because he created us, and he knows that every need we have is before him because he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, and he knows what needs you have even before you ask. This is gospel truth, and it applies to the whole of our lives. Here is what your life is to be about in God's kingdom, Paul writes. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe little faith means a failure to recognize to realize the implications of our salvation and our life in Christ. And so Jesus says, oh you don't don't be of little faith. Yes, there's faith there. There's saving faith there, but but your faith must expand. It must grow much more. Therefore, do not be anxious about your life. Secondly, he says, therefore do not be like the Gentiles. Or unbelievers. Verse 31, therefore, do not be anxious, once again, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. (laughs) Do not live like an unbeliever, is what Jesus is saying who who re- realize who know or don't know they have no heavenly father you have a heavenly father it's very understandable why a non-christian suffers from anxiety i i get it they have no heavenly father they they experience common grace through rain and sun as we read it in in Matthew 5.45, but they do not experience the intimate and providential care as a child of God. Instead, they seek or they run after all these food and drink. The non-believing world lives by experience, by what they have. The good life with food and drink and clothing and TV advertisements and, and Internet and magazines all promote this life and, and as, a, as a lottery ticket to, to what's going to change your life. You can have it all, except you don't. And so the, the, the Gentiles seek. They run after these things. And the world around us is filled with people who run and seek after these things, who don't know the Lord. But believers, Christians, at times do the same. Chasing a dream, chasing a life that is not the one that God is offering them in his kingdom. Every every Christian faces this temptation. So Jesus commands his disciples, don't be like the Gentiles. But what's most important in this passage right here is this transforming truth. He says in verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows. Brothers and sisters, that is a transforming truth. Your heavenly Father knows. Your heavenly Father knows. He is all-knowing. He is sovereign over your life at every moment. He knows every need that you have, every circumstance you face, every event in your life. And not only does he know, but he cares because he is your loving father. First John 3.1, See how great a love the father has for us that we should be called children of God and such we are. We are called his children because he loves us. And does he not care for those he loves how much more valuable are you than the birds of the air? And not only is he your heavenly father, but he is the, the, the God of all providence. Knowing all that we need. And at the beginning, he met our greatest need in his son. Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God saved us from sin and judgment by meeting our greatest need on the cross, taking our sin and our shame, and dying our death that we might have eternal life. Even before we knew we had a need, he came to give his life as a ransom for many, for you. We can always trust our Heavenly Father's love, even in times of grievous trouble. So so let's not be like the Gentiles. Let's not be anxious because they have no Heavenly Father, and we do. And in light of this truth, Jesus tells us how we are to respond, verse 33. And we get to our application a bit early, but verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. Of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Just reread chapters five and six in Matthew. The beatitudes. What what goes on inside our hearts? How we're to live a public life and a private life. That's to seek first. The kingdom is at hand, so live the Beatitudes. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Remember that you're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness. And also that your righteousness is to exceed that of the Pharisees. And so seek first the kingdom of God. Therefore, do not, do not be like the Gentiles. Therefore, do not be anxious about your life. And therefore, do not be anxious like the Gentiles. And thirdly, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In 634, Jesus is speaking here about the present and the future, about today and tomorrow. Our anxiety, listen, our anxieties, we are most anxious about what might happen. We worry about what the future might hold, what it might bring, what might happen to us. About something might nev- that might never happen. Do not, Jesus says, be anxious about tomorrow because today's grace will not cover tomorrow's troubles. You already have enough trouble today. Isn't that sufficient? And I, I can do this. I can, I, can, I can fret about, well, I have enough money in retirement. What will my physical health be like when I'm 68 years old instead of 66 years old? Three times Jesus has commanded us, do not be anxious. And twice he tells us that your heavenly father knows all your needs at every moment of every day. Listen, these fears, brothers and sisters, about tomorrow, which we feel so deeply about today, lead us down a destructive road that, that ends in mistrusting God, mistrusting our Heavenly Father. Being anxious is a waste of time. And I love what John Stott says in his commentary. It is frankly stupid. He's wanting to get the reader's attention. Being anxious takes a terrible toll on us, both spiritually and personally, physically. And Jesus, in the parable of the sower, gives us insight into what anxiety will do to us if we live in that world. Matthew 13, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. That's what anxiety will do for you. That's the benefit, the consequence of anxiety. When we are anxious and allow the cares of the world to become supreme over God's care for us, His word has little effect in our lives. This is why some believers do not benefit from the preached word on a Sunday morning. They listen to the word, but they do not hear the word. They do not receive the word, leaving each week with their eyes not on the Lord, but on anxious worries, their eyes on what's going on around them. Their sinful anxiety chokes out the word in their hearts and minds and the cares of the world become the God that rules their thoughts and emotions and decisions. And so Jesus makes it clear in simple application, brothers and sisters we will close with this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you because your heavenly Father knows. Father, thank you that you know. Thank you that you have placed us in a kingdom that never has a need. It is a kingdom that is meant to, to transform our lives that we might live for you. And that is what we ask. Lord, help us. Help us today to cast our cares upon you to no longer be, be paralyzed by fear, but to trust you and to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. That we might bring glory to your name. In Christ's name, amen.